takes more, more than a hammer, more than a hammer and nails. Takes more than a hammer and nails to make a house a home. To make a house a home takes a firm foundation, built on faith and love. Whole lot of guidance from up above. Show your neighbor what a friend is for with an open heart and an open door. Takes more, more than a hammer and nails. Well, good morning. How are you? It's a brand new day in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church. Um, this is Promotion Sunday. Um, every child who came in the door today, every middle school, they walked into a new space, um, ready for a brand new year of ministry life here, just like they're experiencing a brand new school life out there. And this season really does mark for us almost like a January 1st kind of new beginning. Um, summer is over, vacation is done, and the normal routine of life sets back in. Even those of us who don't have children in school, we still kind of operate on that. School has started, summer's over, it's time for uh, normalcy to return. It's also the big day in the life of me as a preacher. Um, those of you who are firstborn type A brothers and sisters of mine, We'll know that I typically teach from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, HCSB, because abbreviations are helpful. Um, but today, I'm actually teaching from the ESV, which stands for English Standard Version. Um, I don't own one of those, um, and so I'm borrowing my wife's, which has a floral pattern on the outside of it. Please today do not judge a book by its cover. The words inside are the same, regardless of the pretty print on the outside. Um, I am... Uh, I did toy with the idea of coming in here with the NRT, which is the new Russian translation, but that would have made for a whole different service. Um, and I did even slightly consider um, coming in here and using my best British brogue to teach this morning, um, courtesy of Ross Geller in my favorite TV show, Friends, when he went to be a professor of paleontology at New York University. Um, all 10 seasons of Friends are on Netflix, by the way, right now. So that's a freebie. It's not in your notes, just in case you were needing something else to pick up with the school year. There you go. Okay. So speaking of Friends, I have some, and one of them this week on Facebook posted a link to a list of 37 episodes of Friends that would all have different titles if they came on today, as opposed to 20 years ago. Yes, that's right. Friends debuted 21 years ago, and a lot of people in this room just felt older than the when you walked in. <laughs> Ooh, breathe deep. It's okay. We can make it how those episode titles would be different. So, for example, think about the one where Rachel accidentally put meat in her dessert because two pages of the recipe book got stuck together. Um, well, that episode would be called the one where Rachel did not accidentally put meat in her dessert because pages of an iPad don't stick together. Ah, see, things have changed. You know, when I was a kid going to church in the 1980s, yes, um, I never imagined that I would stand on a stage like this and preach a sermon um, wearing blue jeans and drinking, I left it on the side for you to see how trendy I am, hot tea. Um, because back then, um, when I was a kid, all pastors were old and they didn't wear blue jeans um, ever, like suits and ties, even at a ball game, seriously. So things have certainly changed. You wouldn't have had church in a movie theater um, when I was a kid. It, yeah, exactly. Things are a lot different. Or in a warehouse. 
Um, when I was a kid, you also, I never dreamed of the day when someone would think of a message that they wanted to send to me, and they would type it out on a pocket-sized keyboard, and in seconds, I would have it. The reason being, because when I was a kid, keyboards were huge, they were attached to typewriters, we didn't carry them around with us, and it would cost you 22 cents, because in 1985, that's the cost of a postage stamp, to get it to a friend, and it would have taken at least two to three business days to do so. Things have changed quite a bit. You know, change is a core value at Rolling Kills. It's one of our eight core values that you discover when you investigate this as a church. And we say this sentence often, the message must remain the same. This Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forever, past, present, and future. The message must remain the same, but the methods by which we communicate it are ever-changing because we are ever-increasingly looking for new opportunities to present the gospel to a new and changing culture of people. While everything around us changes, the message remains the same, and each side of that core value is important, but today we're going to land a little bit more closely on the side where the message remains the same because we're going to jump off from some old-school, Old Testament passages of Scripture that are somewhat familiar to us, and we're going to use those as a diving board to help us navigate what it is that we're supposed to be and know to do as the people of God today. I'm thrilled about kicking off this new series called House to Home. Um, Welcome to the set of my new TV show, and um, it's going to be on HGTV. I'm a rock star at it. No, I'm thrilled about the opportunity today to talk about the idea of a house made into a home, because a house is brick and mortar, but a home is an environment of love, accountability, nurturing, education, and support. This series, we're talking about taking the necessary components of ensuring that our homes are rooted in the fabric of God and His Word, and ultimately that they're built to stand the test of time and the turbulent, ever-changing waters of a culture that does not want us to succeed at faith. For that to happen, we need a strong foundation. You can't build a house or strengthen a home without a strong foundation. It's the first and most expensive consideration of any remodel within one. And today, our foundation is a confession. It's the confession that we make in Jesus Christ. I'm going to start out in the book of Exodus chapter 11. That's my diving board today. Um, In Exodus chapter 11, the people of God, the Israelites, they are slaves. Um, They are slaves in Egypt. And the reason that they're living there is because at the end of the book of Genesis, a guy named Joseph rose to power in Egypt and he relocated all of God's people there so that they could be spared an intense famine that was coming. And in Exodus chapter one, we learn that Joseph as in his entire generation died and that a new Pharaoh came to power who did not know Joseph for the relationship that he had with Egypt. And he was afraid of the Israelites and their multiplication factor and thought that they might try to overtake them. And so he oppressed the Israelites and made them into slaves. They cried out to God. He heard their cry and he sent a rescuer. His name was Moses. Now Moses was outfitted with the power of God to do signs and wonders in the forms of plagues, these disasters that came on Egypt. There were 10 of them. Um, The tiny little middle school boy that still lives inside me and all of the men in this room probably favors the plague of festering boils over all of the other plagues, but that's not the one we're talking about today. We're landing on number 10, which is death of the firstborn, every firstborn in the entire land. And in Exodus chapter 11, starting with verse 4, Moses gives these instructions to people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, proving yet again that nothing happens good after midnight. Okay, um, every... (laughs) 
Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill. I think in the first service I accidentally said treadmill. Um, either way it works. Okay, behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Ever. This is the worst day in human history. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God was working out the idea of making a distinction between his people and the world. That word distinction, um, we know that it means set apart, We know that it means separate. We know that it means wonderful. And God was in the business of making a distinction between his people and the remainder of the world. And that's what God has been about from the very beginning when he chose Abraham to be the father of many nations. It's what he in his will wants us as believers in Jesus Christ to be today, distinct. We are made to be different from the world around us because of our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. (laughs) And this is how it happened. In Exodus chapter 12, We flip over. Here were the instructions of the rescue that the people of God were going to get as their distinction. Starting with verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is at the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. God gives Israel a way out. This is the story of the Passover holiday for Jewish people. Um, It's the same party that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on the eve of his arrest. And you read it and you know that as parents, one of our most primary basic calling is to protect our children. Parents are called to protect. I read this passage and I want to Star Trek beam myself right into the middle of it so that I can really feel and imagine what it was like to be a dad in this Old Testament moment facing this worst and final Old Testament plague. On one hand, I'm a slave begging God for relief. And on the other hand, I'm a dad who is called to protect his child. And I can already feel the anxiety that's swelling up inside of me as I'm praying, longing, begging, hoping that I do what's right in that moment so that my child would be spared. And if my life and the way that I approach most situations in it is any indication today of how I would have handled that back then. I imagine that I would have been like the dad about a quarter to midnight, knocking on the doors of my neighbors going, please, can I borrow some hyssop? And while you're at it, can you throw in a little extra blood? Because I, as a dad, know the primary calling that I have to protect my children. But I also readily admit that sometimes I don't feel equipped to handle that call in the world. And research would support this as a hypothesis that we all kind of feel that way from time to time. George Bonner conducted a survey of parents recognizing that it's our primary call to protect our children. It's our primary call to be the spiritual developers of our children. And we readily admit that we own that responsibility. And yet 94% of us often say we don't feel like we're qualified to do it. Because we recognize that the task is big and that it's also kind of hard. So what happened to the dad in Exodus chapter 12 who didn't have the right tools and didn't follow God's instructions? He lost his child. 
For the individual family in the Exodus story, it was about protecting your chun. But for the entire community of faith, it was about preserving a people. That's what God did. He gave a prescription, a rescue that would protect Israel's kids and preserve Israel's future. Why did he do that? So Exodus chapter 11 verse 7 could exist and he could create for his people a distinction so that they would know that God made them different. And then he provided that as a continuing prescription for us that we might do the same with our children. Thankfully, not with blood, but with a recipe for passing faith onto the next generation that has stood the test of time for generations. The primary feature of that distinction could be found in, in more words from Moses. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's where we land next, starting with verse 1. It says, now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. That's protection. And that you may multiply greatly. That's preservation. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey and as a freebie today, that's provision. Because milk and honey, anytime you read that in scripture, it means rich. It's the Pinterest dream board of lifestyles. All this right here. Provision, protection, and preservation. It sets up what became the most important verse in all of the Old Testament. Verse 4 reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on a, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Obvious for everyone to see. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This was the distinction. This is now what would make Israel different. Their confession of faith. Our faith is built on a confession. This passage of scripture is known as the Shema in Old Testament, and Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel. And it's the most important declaration for the God-fearing Jew, and it's the lead-in to the answer that Jesus gave when he was asked about the most important command, which he quoted Deuteronomy 6.5 and said, love God with everything. It's not an accident that the section right after it gives for us a recipe of what it means to pass that faith on to the next generation. Faith in everyday life. Faith when we wake up. Faith when we lie down. Faith when we're sitting around the table talking with friends. Faith when we're going about our travel and the daily routine of life. Faith in our conversations and in our interactions as a marker in our home, obvious for others to see. It's the distinction of how we look and how we live and how we create a home. And here's why that recipe was so important. Because he goes on in verse 10 to say, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, when you're blessed abundantly in the life that you don't deserve, but that God has so graciously given to you because he chose you as his people and he wants to create a distinction for you to live, when that all happens, verse 12, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You know, the people have been wandering around in the wilderness for a really long time at this point. The last time they had doors, they were instructed to paint them with blood. And now, on the precipice of occupying a land again for the first time in a really long time, they're on the outskirts of a land that would soon be theirs, with homes of their own once again. Doors make it onto the scene. And this time, the distinction is not going to be blood on the doorpost of a dead lamb, but the very words of God that characterize the home in which they live, so that every time they go in and every time they go out, it's the first thing and it's the last thing that they see and notice, that they're making a confession before God to love him with everything that they have. They're about to have homes again. And with those homes come a million other priorities that might steer their focus away from following the one true God who gave them those homes in the first place. Don't forget the God of your salvation. Good God-honoring Jews back then and even good God-honoring Jews today craft a small wooden box called a mezuzah to mount on the door frames of their house, a literal box. And inside that box is a rolled up scroll with the words of the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, love him with everything. And they tack that to the doorpost of their home so that every time they come in and every time they go out, it is present for them. And so that everybody who walks in and sees knows that this is a home that's made a confession to know that there is one God and to love him with everything that they have and to ensure they know the passage that comes after that, to ensure that the next generation has all of the necessary tools and beliefs and values and information, all of the necessary story and reminders so that they too don't forget God, so that they recognize him as the one true God and love him with everything that they have. It's all so they won't forget. Pew Forum research tells us that 80% of millennials, I was born after 1990, who were raised in religious households, no more than 50% currently align themselves with traditional Christian views. Each new generation is not surprisingly less committed to Christ than the one before it. Nearly 59% of kids raised in church will leave at some point past age 15, abandoning the faith of their parents. And while a, a percentage of them return later on in adulthood, wouldn't it be better if they never left in the first place? We have a call and a responsibility to ensure a strong foundation in the lives of every child that God has called us to raise based on our confession of faith in him and determine no matter the cost to love him with everything that they have. Unless anybody in here who doesn't currently have children living at home or doesn't have children at all, unless you start to take a back seat realizing that this passage of scripture must not be for you because it's only for parents, you have to know that the Shema started out with hear O Israel. It's here, entire assembly. It's here, corporate community of God. And that would have included every single man and woman who marched out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, wandered in a wilderness, ate the manna and the quail, drank the water from a rock, sat at the base of a mountain and watched as Moses came down to bring them God's words, regardless of whether or not they had kids. And because the book of Romans, Paul prescribes for us what it means to be a true Israelite and says that any one of us who has confessed faith in Christ, we're actually the children of Abraham, adopted into the family of God. So here, O Israel, is every single person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, whether you're a parent or not. We all share that responsibility, past, present, and future. We are Israel today, and we must hear that God is one. We're called to love him with everything that we have, and we are called, it's a direct command, not an indirect command, to pass that faith on to the next generation and to the one after that too. That means that these three kids, Lily, Kate, Norblake, and Simon, hey guys, dad loves you. Okay, um, my wife Susan and I know that we bear the primary call for protecting 
and that we bear the primary call for being the spiritual directors of our children's lives and preserving the faith that we're passing down to them, but we are also happy to share that responsibility with people like Mike and Ashley Fox, who are Lily Kate's third grade small group leaders, right now at 11 o'clock. Or with Catherine Reed, who has been with Nora Blake teaching her on Sunday mornings since she was in kindergarten and now walks up to second grade with her. Or with Leslie Crawford, today's her birthday, isn't that great? Okay, or with Leslie Crawford, who answered the call of God because of her confession in Christ to pray with our son Simon on Sunday mornings and to tell him Bible stories. And because she also knows that her confession in Christ calls her to be a bondservant, courtesy of Philippians chapter 2, she also changes some of the nastiest diapers I've ever seen. That's service. I'm happy to share that duty too. It's all because of a confession that each one of them has made in faith to declare Christ, love God, and teach the next generation what it means to know and to follow him so they won't grow up and forget. Fast forward in the timeline of Israel in the book of Numbers. Chris Dolberry, who taught last week on our Daily Step, highlighted this story in chapter 13, and we're going to pick up where he left off in chapter 14 today. You know, I love, I mean like a strong love for espionage. I am highly convinced that at least one of you in this room works for a secret off-books black ops division of the CIA and that you're actually living here in our community with an assumed name, living an undercover life to route out potential terrorist threats within our midst. I mean, like, okay, I watch a little too much TV. Um, and I love the idea that one of you is an undercover agent. Okay, you won't convince me otherwise. I think I know who you are, by the way. Okay, no. In this moment, God he uses Moses to call out 12 men who will be spies to go into the land of promise and to scout out whether it's good. And you know from last week and you know from your reading that 10 out of those 12 men come back and they give a negative report about the land and that it's too fearful and it's too treacherous and they can't go occupy it. Well, in chapter 14, we learn the response of the people to that negative report. It says, then all the congregation, that's all of Israel, moms, dads, not moms and dads, hear, O Israel, all the congregation, they raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation, okay, Bible is dramatic at times. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? It would be better if we were dead. Y'all know a teenage girl that said that at one point. Okay, would it be better that we were dead? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Say what? You want to be slaves again? You want to live in the land of oppression where your grandparents cried out to God and begged for rescue? Instead of trusting the God who has brought you this far to take you the step further? Verse 4, and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They went with the unfaithful majority. God had rescued them from slavery. He spared their kids in Egypt that night. He let them cross an ocean on dry ground. He gave them manna and quail to eat. He let them drink water from a rock. He led them by fire and protected them with the cloud. They received his literal words, all of this through the prophet Moses. And incidentally, because they didn't have the incarnate God in the presence of Jesus Christ yet, Moses was their lowercase s savior at this moment. And in that situation, instead of trusting the God who saved them and following the savior that he gave, they decided that they wanted a new leader. I'm afraid that happens to us. 
that we've been given a savior whose name is Jesus, but when life gets tough or life gets scary, we're ready to abandon that faith and forget the goodness of God who saved us and go with another safer, less risky leader. And to allow the unfaithful majority to win. We don't need another leader. God has given us a savior. They forgot. They forgot to declare their faith. They forgot to lovingly follow and depend and believe in and worship the one true God. They forgot about the responsibility that they had to pass that bold, audacious, we can take this land because God has said we can take this land kind of faith onto their children. What happened to the dad who couldn't find his hyssop and didn't follow God's instructions that midnight? He lost his son. What happened to Israel when they forgot to prioritize every single moment in the Old Testament history when they forgot to prioritize their confession of faith in God? They lost their kids. Fast forward again, Moses is gone. Joshua was appointed as their new leader. He led them to occupy the promised land that God gave to them. And in Judges chapter two, verse 10, we read what I would call the most sobering words in all of the Old Testament. It says, and all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They forgot. They became one of the nuns, N-O-N-E, who check none on their religious affiliation census survey box. Those who do not declare any God, much less the one true God. Those who do not subsequently pledge to love him with everything that they have. Those who do not understand their call and responsibility to pass that faith on to others. Those who live unaffiliated with Jesus' lives. This family pastor's greatest fear is that that number would increase on our watch. What do we do? We, we, we do what scripture commands us to do. We do what God has always empowered his people to do. We grab our hyssop. We paint our lives with the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. We hammer up that mezuzah in our home, indicating the confession of faith that we make in him. We love God with everything that we have. We determine in our hearts and in our lives and in our schedules and in our homes and in this community that we will do anything and everything it takes to, along the way, pass that faith to our children so they won't forget. We make our foundation a strong confession in Christ and we walk in it daily. For the believer in Jesus Christ, that confession is still one God, but the way that we make that declaration is different because Christ has come in Romans 10, 9, we read, I can, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does Jesus is Lord mean? It means, hero Israel, there is one God. What does Jesus is Lord means? It means, hero Israel, there is one God. And we are to love him. Jesus, with everything that we have. We are to talk about him, Jesus, when we get up and when we lie down and when we eat dinner and when we go from place to place day to day. Why? So that we won't be one more generation responsible for not passing faith on to the next. We can't forget. The methods have changed. We don't paint blood on our doors anymore. Mercifully so. I would be terrible at killing animals and smearing blood. If you guys brought your sacrificial goat here today hoping that I would fulfill the duties of the Levite priest, you picked the wrong church. 
This is not that kind of worship. We don't. It's not about the blood of a lamb on our door. It's about the blood of a savior covering our sin. We don't have to hang a mezuzah in our homes anymore to be reminded of our faith, but maybe we should. My friend Michelle Adams, who goes to church here, she's on Etsy, and she sells the coolest scripture prints on burlap. (laughs) We have one that's hanging over one of the doorways in our house. It's super trendy, and it's really cool, but it's a modern-day mezuzah. And every time we go in and every time we go out, we, we see it, and we're reminded that our house is to be a house of faith. It's not about the words of the Shema written on our doors, but it's about the word, capital W, the word that is Christ, present in our lives. We want the foundation of our church, the foundation of my life, the foundation of our home, the foundation of our faith to be a confession of Christ. And so the question that we're left asking here today is similar to the question you heard David ask his son Luke in the waters this morning. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Admitted to God that you're a sinner and that you're desperately in need of his forgiveness and understanding that there is no way to eternity and salvation except through him. Understanding that after receiving that gift, you are crossing over from death into life. And it's not just the best is yet to come life. It's the life that's right here now that God has for you, a plan and a purpose to be a part of his kingdom work in this community, which is all intent about passing that gift of faith on to another generation around us so that others can experience that free gift of life too. Have you made that confession? in Christ and if not I I invite you to do that today tell God you're a sinner tell him you're sorry ask him for forgiveness declare that you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that he is your one Lord that's a confession of faith and it makes you a Christian and beyond that you're to love him with everything that you have. Jesus defined love as obedience, and so we're going to be obedient to the word of God that he's given us. And we are to be responsible for the succession of a faith that passes down from generation to generation. Have you made it a priority to pass that confession on to your kids and to my kids, to all our kids? It's a new year, and I would love to encourage a couple of things. One, please make participation in this body of faith a priority this year. Please make this body of Christ um, a committed part of your life this year. We are in this together. And regardless of whether or not you have children, please seize an opportunity to serve in a capacity that passes faith on to someone this year. Maybe it's in joining or leading a community group. That's a great way to be a part of faith being passed. Maybe it's as a kids or middle school teacher or even a nursery worker. That means when you see Laura, our community group minister, or Anna, our preschool minister, or Kenley, our children's minister, or Chase and Jen, our student ministers, it, it, it means that you're gonna go ahead and get your yes ready. Because you're not saying yes to them. You're saying yes to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and being part of the foundational reason why the next generation doesn't forget. How do you remember and not forget? First thing you see every morning, last thing you see at night, and a part of your daily routine, all day long, wherever you go. And as your church family, we share that load. We want the foundation of your life and the foundation 
of your home to be solely built on your confession of Jesus Christ? Are you living and pursuing that confession? Or are you standing at the door of danger looking around for another leader? Is there a part of your life where the unfaithful majority out there is winning? Because you've forgotten to follow the God of your salvation. This is not a message for moms and dads. This is a message for all grown-up Christ followers. What happens if we don't follow God's instructions and seek to intentionally pass faith? We will lose the next generation. And that price is far too high. We must commit together to confessing Christ and for doing anything and everything that it takes to ensure that that faith is instilled in the hearts of the kids that God's blessed us with. It will make us distinct. It will make us different. But it will be wonderful. Would you pray with me today? Holy God, we are before you now as a people in desperate need of your lordship and leadership in our lives. There are people in the room today who are moms and dads and they're afraid of what's next for their kids. I pray that you would give them peace. I pray that you would give them a firm resolve in the foundation of their confession of Jesus Christ. To do whatever it takes to pass faith. I pray that you would surround them with the rest of us who will come alongside and be a part of the body of Christ who, Deuteronomy chapter 6, lives out that faith in such a way that passes it on to their kids. I pray that you would call out men and women right where they sit right now to take an active part in doing what this body has been called to do, which is to confess Christ, love you, and pass faith on to the next generation. Sometimes, God, we feel ill-equipped. We feel like we don't have the right tools, and we don't know the right words, and we don't understand everything that it means to be the people that you've called us to be. Father, eliminate our fears and equip us along the way by the power of your Holy Spirit living inside of us as a response to the promise that Jesus made when he left to endow us with power. Help us to take hold of that power and to walk boldly in our confession. We know it will make us different, God. And we are ready to walk in that difference. Make us distinct. Make us yours. In the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our one Lord and our one Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today um, and for um, being a part of this new series. I encourage you to be back every week. Next week, Pastor Jeff will be back talking about the next point in building our homes around the confession of faith in Christ. Um, and I'm excited to see the word that he brings. I would like to invite men and women who are ushers. I'm using their gift of service to be a part of this worship service to come forward. Um, and as they do, we enter into a, another time of our worship called Tithes and Offerings. If you're here with us for the first time today, um, I encourage you to put that communication card in the basket when it passes you by so that we have an opportunity to get to know you a little better. And anyone in the room, 
if you've written down a prayer request that we might be able to pray for you about this week, please drop that in as well. We take seriously the opportunity that we have to pray alongside each of you um, each week. Um, This is an opportunity for us to give back um, out of the abundance, the milk and honey that God has given us. And so we ask him to take it and to use it for his glory in the kingdom. Father, we ask that you would take these offerings today, that you would accept them as an act of worship, that you would multiply them by your good power, and that they would be useful in your kingdom to draw people to you. That these very offerings would be another part of the reason why we're able to pass faith on to generations around us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and that we commit this time. Amen.